Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob and Jack Black. I'm Josh Nelson, and this is the Sox Machine Podcast for Monday, December 30th, 2019. The final episode of the calendar year and decade. Should be a fun one as we yet again say hello to another addition to the Chicago White Sox. This time, it's Edwin Encarnacion. Can he provide a similar boost like Nelson Cruz did last year? For the Minnesota Twins, and how does Encarnacion signing change the plans for the designated hitter role for the Chicago White Sox in 2020? Will Rick Renteria all of a sudden have a problem on trying to get all these good hitters in the lineup every single day? Also in this episode, we think about who is next for the White Sox this offseason to add. Does it make sense for the team to sign another right fielder or sign a bullpen arm? And with it being New Year's later this week, we'll give our 2020 resolutions. And at the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The Chicago White Sox gave us a nice holiday gift signing Edwin Encarnacion. Yes, although I should note a couple things. One, it isn't official yet, and neither is Dallas Keuchel for that matter, so we're still waiting on that, uh, you know, the all the terms and goodies and stuff. Uh, also, the uh, Encarnacion, uh, Nacho Libre bits. That was an old one from uh, the Oral Sox podcast, uh, the granddaddies of uh, White Sox podcasting, I think. Uh, Adam and Jeff, they used to play that every single time they could. <laughs> you know, you would go out of their way to play it for any kind of Edwin Encarnacion uh, reference. And so uh, it's a shame they're not, uh, you know, still operating a podcast in order to play that every single game or every single week. 
Uh, so at least we can do it for him for one episode. And who knows, maybe we could just carry on the tradition for this season. Whenever he hits a home run or has a big week or a big month. Yeah, perhaps. I wouldn't rule it out. So Incarnacion, the signing, uh, again, Jim's right, not official yet, as the Chicago White Sox are taking a holiday break. Not sure why these signings haven't been official. We haven't gotten the press releases yet. Uh, but from everything that's being reported, that both Dallas Keuchel and Encarnacion are going to be signing with the White Sox. So there shouldn't be any concerns that suddenly people are going to back out of their agreements. What is Encarnacion bringing to the White Sox? Well, he has eight straight seasons with 30-plus home runs. During that stretch, he's hit 297 home runs. So he's averaging 37 home runs per season. Last year, he hit 34. And Encarnacion likes hitting a guaranteed rate field. In his career for 32 games, he's hit 283 with a 387 on a base percentage and slug 475. However, his favorite ballpark in the American League to hit is in target field. In 44 games, Encarnacion has hit 302 with a 415 on base percentage, slugging 633 as he's hit 17 home runs. So hopefully that comes in handy for the Chicago White Sox in 2020 and Encarnacion can continue that hot streak against the Twins on the road. I find these to be positives that Encarnacion brings to the White Sox, but what do you like most about this signing, Jim? Well, I, I like the terms, you know, one year and $12 million. It's, uh, you know, for a 37-year-old and, and somebody who is showing some signs of decline, it's good to have one year. I, I think his signing keeps the Twins honest, keeps the Indians honest, and uh, uh, just adding somebody didn't have before the home run threat. I mean, you wrote about the White Sox home run problem, their deficit, both, uh, uh, you know, hitting home runs and giving them up. They've made a huge dent in that. And I think Encarnacion helps. I wrote about some things I was a little bit wary of, like the, uh, you know, his launch angle is increasing to the point where he's popping up. Uh, you know, his pop-up rate is 18%, which is like Todd Frazier. Like when he was with the Sox, you might remember all the pop-ups he hit. You know, it's a way to get uh, a batting average on balls in play that's really low and earned. So that's the case of he might just, you know, in his in his later years, be selling out for power and letting the production around it kind of uh, fade away. That's not a bad strategy for a guy with his skill set and his age, but something to look out for. But, you know, for the terms, for how he fits, and, and given that the White Sox are still probably a year away from a corner guy coming up like Andrew Vaughn and taking that roster spot himself. Um, uh, there really isn't any risk to it. With the pop-up rate, is that your biggest concern about this signing for Encarnacion? Or is there something else that we're not thinking about that could be a red flag of the White Sox going in this direction? I, I think it's just, uh, you know, when you look at the age, I, that seems to be the leading, um, I guess, reason why it wouldn't work out. He just hits a lot of pop-ups. He's closer to zips, like 25, uh, you know, 25 homers or so. Uh, and just, it's a little bit disappointing, like the way Todd Frazier's 40 homer season was kind of disappointing for given how much, uh, how many he hit out of the park. But, you know, uh, he did miss a month with an oblique strain and, you know, being that he's getting older, you know, he could see more of that. He did bounce back from that, had a nice September. So I'm not too worried about that. Just more of an age thing, but yeah, there are just a few things that could add up to where it just doesn't work out. But in this case, the White Sox aren't uh, married to it. I think it's a good way to keep uh, their team projections um, moving up uh, without really sacrificing a whole lot and giving them some flexibility next year, depending on who needs that DH spot, who needs the at-bats, uh, where the, you know, if any, uh, positional logjam is occurring. Now, there is a club option for 2021 
with the what's being reported right now. Again, not official yet. However, uh, you mentioned as far as his age and, you know, on the surface, you know, a one-year deal to help out hitting home runs with the Chicago White Sox in 2020 is very attractive. We saw the big positive boost that Nelson Cruz provided for the Minnesota Twins last year, especially Cruz against the White Sox last year, as at times it just really got pretty annoying on how good Cruz was hitting White Sox pitching, especially against Lucas Giolito. Uh, what do you think the chances are that if this club option does exist, that this could be more than a one-year arrangement between Encarnacion and the White Sox? Oh, it could be. I think, uh, you know, if Encarnacion produces the way he does, you know, I think just a rolling one-year, 12 million or so option makes a lot of sense and probably is worth it. And even if the White Sox don't have room for him, it makes sense to pick it up and then, you know, perhaps trade him, you know, unless there's some kind of no trade language, but... Uh, you know, to a team that uh, could use them and has a little bit of, you know, extra, whether it's a bullpen arm or, or something else to trade uh, a lot of the White Sox to fill a hole. So that's, that seems like no harm, especially with no buyout. Now, again, Encarnacion doesn't play much in the field. So 100 plus games, it's going to be him at DH, which I have no problem with. Mm-hmm. But when the White Sox signed Yasmani Grandal, our thought was, well, in order for him to get 140 games, obviously he's not going to catch 140 games because you have James McCann as his backup, that Grandal can get some more playing time, spelling Jose Abreu at first base, but also at DH. Do you think that impacts as far as the DH rotation with the White Sox signing Encarnacion? And how do you think this DH rotation will work out? Yeah, it should have some trickle-down effects. I think, you know, given that Encarnacion is getting up there, um, you know, the White Sox probably don't want to play him 155 times even if he's healthy. You know, the whole idea of load management going across sports and uh, makes some sense to rest some guys, even if he's, you know, sitting on the bench most of the time. You know, it's good to have some games off. So, you know, I figure maybe he makes 130 starts or so. Uh, still not that much playing time left. You know, James McCann was somebody who was supposed to pick up some of those DH uh, uh, at bats with Grandall and maybe Zach Collins. I think, uh, you know, right now, I think uh, McCann and Collins are the two most effective. Grandall will get his starts. He'll, he'll start 100 110 plus behind the plate and then pick up some elsewhere. But, um, you know, the, the whole idea with, uh, you know, b- before Encarnacion was that it'd be maybe a platoon with McCann against lefties and Zach Collins against righties. And while McCann still makes a lot of sense as a backup and, uh, I've seen some people advocate trading McCann, but I don't think that's really a thing going to happen just because there are some catchers still available on the market mm-hmm. and McCann is, uh, you know, he's good. You know, he's good as a backup. He probably had his best, possible year and i wouldn't count on him having it again so you just don't want to overexpose him you backup is a good role for him especially you know if grindall gets hurt you don't mind him starting because you've seen that he can help even if he does have some weaknesses he's got some strengths so it, it balances out i think collins is the guy who could be uh i guess on the outside looking in just because uh you know, they can option the minors he hasn't proven himself yet uh and uh he still has to work on his catching to the point where they can send him down to charlotte and say we want you to work on pitch calling, on framing, on receiving. Um, just uh, he did have some ugly games with the White Sox that show he's a long way to go. And you know, Charlotte is aware is a place to improve defense at least, even if uh, you know he still has to work with the pitchers and in, in Chicago and such. But you know, if Grandal is healthy and plays as advertised, and if McCann stays healthy and is a good backup and helps a little bit at DH uh, against lefties in certain lineups. 
then yeah, I can see Collins having a year where he doesn't have a whole lot to do. And, you know, maybe that's the case where he's, uh, you know, sits in Charlotte for another year and puts up numbers and uh, it's unclear where he's going to go. And, you know, maybe he's more, uh, you know, I guess maybe that makes him more attractive in a trade. But, uh, you know, if Encarnacion has the year we think he can have, uh, I don't see him getting a whole lot of played appearances this year. I agree with that. You will have to take some type of injury, which would not be good news for the 2020 Chicago White Sox because that means, like, Grandal is going to miss a couple weeks. Even if James McCann misses a couple of weeks, Grandal would pick up those starts. I guess you could call up Collins, and I still don't think he would get a lot of playing time in that scenario if McCann had to go to the injured list because I just think Grandal would pick up the majority of those starts in those two-plus weeks that McCann theoretically would be on the injured list, knock on wood, the White Sox have no injuries in 2020. Uh, but I agree with you, Jim. I think with the signing of Encarnacion, it's a very popular question of what are the White Sox going to do with Zach Collins? I, I think it's going to allow Collins to develop more at AAA, and when there are injuries, then it makes sense to call him up. I know there's a 26-man this season, It'll be. I don't know if having him as a 26 man just to sit around and not do much is the best use of that mm-hmm. roster spot. Yeah, I think it makes sense if it would have made sense if McCann were the starter and you had some nondescript defense first backup as a catcher, like a pitch caller, pitch hand, uh, pitcher handler, framer type. Then maybe you could free up Collins to get some starts, play some DH, get some pitch hitting, and and maybe get him you know two. Two plus starts a week, you know, three between uh, catcher and DH, and use him as a weapon. But right now, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if Encarnacion gets the bats he should get, and uh, then it, it might be a tough year for him. On the other hand, you know, we've seen the White Sox have injuries and disappointments and free agent flops, and yeah, this is the kind of year if they're looking to make a run at uh, 85, 90 wins and maybe a wild card. Maybe you know, if, if no AL Central team is strong, maybe the AL Central is more attainable than the wild card. Uh, you know, Collins is the kind of depth that they need to have. Uh, you know, should Collins have the bat that he showed at the end of the year last year to where he could hit, you know, 25 homers and uh, you provide an OBP around, you know, 330, 340. Uh, that's useful, especially as a as a plan B, plan C type. That's a good point, Jim. That's a very good point because as we saw in 2015, 2016 for the White Sox, in which we thought that they were going to be winning ball clubs and shoot the 2016 team started 23 and 10 lack of depth really hurt Mm -hmm. this franchise. So it's, it's a nice change of pace to say the white Sox have depth, especially when it comes to offense. That's a very nice change of pace with the signing of Encarnacion. I am estimating that the white Sox payroll is about $117 million. Does that scan Jim? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So for those that participated in the Sox Machine offseason plan project, that is right up to the $120 million threshold that we had for the the offseason plan project. Now, it's being reported that the White Sox are not done yet. So they could be going past the $120 million threshold, which is a good sign because they're still well below league average as league average payroll is hovering around $135 million. And let's just face it, when you reside in Chicago about the all the money that Jerry Reinsdorf and the co-owners make, the Chicago White Sox should be able to carry a league average payroll at the very least. So what could the White Sox 
do next? There was the flirtation with adding another right fielder, and a logical move would also be signing another reliever to help with the bullpen. So, Jim, let's start in right field. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of rumors this past week about the White Sox interest in Yasiel Puig. I would love it for the entertainment value. I don't know how much he can provide offensively, but I have no concerns about his defensive ability. And I think it's a little overblown as far as people calling him a clubhouse cancer, and they don't want that type of attitude in the White Sox clubhouse. Those are the same things that people said before the White Sox signed A.J. Brzezinski, and that seemed to be okay. Yes, there have been examples after Brzezinski in which it did not work out well, like Nick Swisher and Brett Lowry. Um, but I, I don't think that would be a big concern of mine about adding Yasiel Puig to the White Sox. However, those rumors seem to be nixed, and we are not hearing a lot about the White Sox and their pursuits for Nicholas Castellanos or even Marcel Zuna. Do you think Rickon would have a change of heart at this stage of the offseason and sign another right fielder to help with the position before spring training starts? I think they could. I, I think they like Nomar Mazzara. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he were plan A for the outfield just because they've liked him for a while. You know, you have Frank Menachino there who you know, maybe they have a, a they, they feel inspired to take on a project with a new guy. Um, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, given the additions elsewhere and the fact that they are approaching, you know, their payroll spending record, you know, if they add to the bullpen and, you know, add around the diamond elsewhere that they might settle. I think I would like to see them add a right-handed outfielder who isn't Larry Garcia or Adam Angle and, you know, who isn't Luis Robert either. Cause Luis Robert will have his own uh, responsibilities. You know, somebody like Domingo Santana, we've talked about him where you don't have to give him too much playing time in order to, uh, you know, allow him to come to Chicago. Who knows? Maybe he's even like a, um, you know, I think he would probably be like a one year, $5 million type. Maybe he's a, mm-hmm. a, but somebody like him has fallen through the cracks before. And maybe uh, I would think a minor league contract is a little bit out of reach, but still, you know, not entirely uh, out of reach, especially if you can, you know, minor league contract pencil him in for an opening day uh, spot the way they have with other guys like Hector Santiago and uh, Giovanni Soto and such. That seems to be more along the lines of what I'm thinking for the outfield just because they can use that kind of depth but can't really guarantee playing time to somebody more attractive. I think Puig is, uh, you know, I kind of agree with you that I think some concerns are overblown. He has matured as he's gotten used to, you know, the the, the cultural shift and uh, early tastes of massive stardom and everything like that. But uh, I also get the impression just watching him interact over the years and watching the comments that Jose Abreu is uh, not really... I think just a different style from Puig. And so like when you talk about, you know, uh, Mas Cubanos and, and having all of them there, I think, you know, that's might be something where they just don't want to have to uh, make a Brayu responsible for Puig um, and, and think about like, oh, he's going to be the guy who, you know, makes them fit in because, you know, they might not get along that well. Or they just might be two different. Uh, I've always, you know, had them in mind as friends from high school or, or people who know each other from high school go, go to the same college and they hang out until they find other people just because they don't really, uh, hmm, they just, yeah, just never really got along that much. Didn't have anything natural pulling them together except for the same homeland. And, and just the way, uh, he's responded to questions about it and so forth and the way they've interacted when they've been, uh, you know, had series together. It just strikes me as like, uh, you know, maybe they don't want to make a Brayu the guy who, 
brings him together because he doesn't really want to and it's not really his job. Uh, I can see that being the case, especially if you have him already kind of responsible for Mancada and uh, you know, Robert and even Eloy Jimenez, just these guys, uh, Spanish-speaking players who are trying to get footing in the majors and look up to him. Yeah, you know, just a lot to put on him. So I can kind of see them going away and setting their sights lower, and I think maybe bullpen is the way they go. Okay. I agree with a lot of the things that you, you mentioned, and I, I like that analogy of graduating high school and your first friends are the people that you knew from high school. Maybe you weren't best of friends, but you at least know someone on your college campus because I did go through that. Mm. Uh, so yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I don't even know if the white Sox will even sign someone like Domingo Santana. I think I'm just reserved the fact that Nomar Mazzara is the starting right fielder for the Chicago white Sox in 2020. And hopefully he breaks out. Even if he does provide what he has in Texas, it's still going to be disappointing as far as everything that we have read and how much hype that he had as far as his prospects standing, that he's not living up to the hype or he's yet to hit his ceiling. It's still a lot better production in right field than the White Sox had in 2019, even though that's an incredibly low bar. Honestly, it's not really much of a bar at all. But for the bullpen, I agree with you that I do think that's the next logical step that the White Sox will add. I have four names on my list that I think would be good additions. Any of these four could be multiple, uh, but if they get one of these four, I think it could help. Daniel Hudson of the Washington Nationals, Will Harris of the Houston Astros, Craig Stamen of the San Diego Padres, and another Astro, someone that I talked a little bit about last year, if you remember, is Colin McHugh. Uh, from the Houston Astros as well. Out of the relievers I just mentioned, Hudson, Harris, Stamen, and McHugh, do any of those interest you, Jim? I think I liked McHugh more before the White Sox didn't really need a swingman anymore, you know, getting Gio Gonzalez, having Michael Kopech now. Okay. As the sixth starter, somebody, you know, and I think Kopech is ultimately, uh, you know, he could break camp as one of the five, but I think you should give him a chance to get used to getting up and down every five days facing real life competition. And, you know, if it's in Charlotte for a couple of starts or a couple turns, the rotation, whatever, uh, so be it. Um, so I think McHugh, uh, less so now than before. Um, yeah, just all these guys, I, I think it's kind of a weak class for relievers and, you know, Hudson, his swinging strike rate dropped below 10%. Um, you know, the velocity is still there, but that just jumps out to me as something like, oh, it might have been, you know, kind of a, a bit fortunate. Uh, with Harris, he lost a velocity. Cutter's still good, but, you know, if he, you know, he's getting up there and, you know, if he drops any more. Also, his strand rate was really high, like un- unsustainably high, like nearly 90%. So, <laughs> you know, the ERA might be a little bit, uh, you know, tough to duplicate. So, uh, you know, on a reasonable contract, I don't mind him, but he's just not somebody who I try to set the market for, I suppose. Um, one guy I'm kind of intrigued by, uh, just because the White Sox have had some success with this profile before, is uh, Yoshihisa Hirano uh, from the Diamondbacks. Uh, he's been there for two years. Splitter-heavy guy. Um, runs really hot and cold, but the strikeout rate, ha- you know, when he's good, the strikeout rate is great. Uh, when he's bad, he's bad. Um, you know, the White Sox have had some success with splitter guys, um, and, and like Zach Putnam comes to mind, especially as somebody who was splitter first and had a lot of success with it. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I Googled him just to see if there's anything, you know, any kind of, you know, teams tied to him. Not really, you know, no strong suits. And so I could see, you know, maybe late in the winter, the White Sox saying like, uh, you know, we got a spot for him. Yeah. Give him a shot. But, uh, 
none of those guys really jump out to me and, and it wouldn't surprise me if the White Sox go somewhere else like live arm type, um, you know, depth deal uh, where somebody we don't really have on our radars and just try to get some, you know, extra performance out of them. I guess. Yeah, I could see them going that direction. I, I think that there is some benefits, though, to kind of keep going this direction of they're adding these veterans that have proven experience. I think this bullpen could use another proven reliever, Jim, because I don't know how much they really want to count on Kelvin Herrera in 2020 to bounce back, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I, I mean, I like Hudson and as far as, uh, um, you know, his pitch ability and, and also I like his story. You know, I liked him when he was coming up with the White Sox, uh, I think everybody, I've never heard anybody say a bad word about him. So I think he'd be nice to have around. Um, same thing with like Stamen. Stamen's fine. You know, he's, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Padres bullpen, there's a lot of guys that kind of interchange and, and, uh, you know, it's hard to keep track of him. I think as a, uh, or, or hard to keep track of who they, you know, move in and out of roles and such. So, uh, there are some, you know, dropping peripherals with him too, but you know, he's fine. I think all these guys are fine, you know, and, and would add to the, uh, bullpen. I just don't see any as a difference maker at this point. So thinking about them as, you know, somebody they need to get, I think if they got any one of those five guys, uh, the bullpen would be deeper. I just don't see anybody really changing the complexion of the bullpen and, and really, uh, you know, dramatically altering the way Rick Renteria would manage the late innings. Yeah, these guys would be the ones, I think, to except for maybe Daniel Hudson, but Harris, Stamen, and McHugh would help get the ball to Aaron Bummer, and Aaron Bummer would still help get the ball to Alex Colomay. Yeah. I'm thinking sixth, seventh inning guys. Yep, yeah, maybe seventh, eighth against, you know, when if they're stacking righties or something, and it's a good matchup. But yeah, somewhere in that seventh range. Right. So we'll see. We'll see if the White Sox make any... Other additions, I mean, in the last five weeks since they signed Yasmani Grandal, uh, they have been very busy. It's been a very active offseason. It's fun. For the Chicago White Sox. It is fun, and it really is much needed, though. If this team is going to be serious about contending in 2020, this is what they needed to do. And right now the projections have the White Sox in 2020 as an 83-79 team and you know what that is progress and maybe there are ways that they can add additional wins in this offseason to really get them in a strong position to be that legit dark horse contender in the American League Central in 2020 but we are going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsors but coming up next it's our 2020 resolutions and your questions in P.O. Sox are you thinking about visiting the Chicago White Sox during spring training. You should. Arizona is a great time. And to plan your trip, you have to start at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That is where you are going to learn about Arizona's one-of-a-kind spring training experience. You could follow the White Sox throughout Arizona. There's 10 stadiums for the 15 Major League Baseball teams. And all 10 stadiums are within Greater Phoenix, just 50 miles surrounding the Phoenix area. So get easy flights from Chicago down to Phoenix and set up shop. Also at visit Arizona.com slash spring training. You can learn on what to see and do as it has great recommendations as far as restaurants and breweries. You could also explore Arizona's incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. 
Definitely check off must-see destinations from your bucket list like visiting the Grand Canyon and Horseshoe Bend, maybe even Tucson. And if you're going to bring the kids along, let's say it's spring break for them and they're out of school, Arizona's a fantastic destination for families. They have family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages from water parks to horseback rides to games and activities. And again, when you plan your spring training getaway, First visit, visitarizona.com slash spring training. Again, that's visitarizona.com slash spring training. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Another year and another decade has passed as we will welcome 2020 later this week. Somewhat funny to look back at how we started 2019. If you remember the White Sox pursuing Manny Machado and how excited we were and dreaming about Machado being with the White Sox and then having our hearts ripped out and stomped on. And look at where we are now with Yasmani Grandal, Dallas Keuchel, Gio Gonzalez, Edwin Encarnacion, and even Nomar Mazzara in the fold. We are working with much different circumstances from the beginning of 2019. The 2020 White Sox, as we said before the break, are projected to be 83 and 79. They should be a winning ball club, snapping the seventh straight losing season streak. That would be the franchise's number one resolution for 2020. Have a winning ball club. How about us? What do we have as our resolutions for this upcoming year? Well, it's time to share ours and feel free to tell us what you hope to resolve in 2020, whether in the comment section on SoxMachine.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at SoxMachine. And uh, Jim, I'll be polite here. I'll let you start. Do you have any resolutions for 2020? Well, I have two. One I can't say quite yet because I don't want to uh, overpromise and underdeliver. But one I feel pretty good about is I'm going to make it down to Birmingham this year. Awesome. Yeah, never been. I've been to the other three full season affiliate parks. Um, but yeah, Birmingham is just, I've never quite been in the area. Um, not as convenient as the other three all tied together, but I think I'm going to make a dedicated trip to Birmingham this year. Maybe the Rickwood classic, if it works out, but some point I'll get down there. I think you would, cause you're big into history. I think you would love the history of Birmingham. Yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed, uh, your write up and, and, uh, Kim's write up and, and, uh, makes me want to go more and, and uh, I'm sure you can give me tips, but yeah, no, it looks like a, there's a lot to it uh, aside from baseball, but you know, always good to catch up with Kurt Bloom too. He's, he's one of the good guys mm-hmm. in uh, the White Sox, uh, you know, up and down the White Sox chain. So yeah, it's, I, I should have done it years ago, but this year seems right for it. Well, that's awesome. That, that's a great resolution. I have three on my list, so you can, you can save one of yours. Okay. Uh, my number one is be more positive. I know that I get this feedback quite often that I could be quite negative when it comes to the White Sox, even though I do not try to blow smoke up people's asses when it comes to this franchise. And after seven straight losing seasons, there's just not a lot of positivity, 
But what the White Sox front office has done, and props to Rick Hahn, uh, they have put in the work and they've gotten the results to make this team better. This team is much better. So in 2020, even if this team starts slow, I will try to be patient, knowing that it's going to be a long season and provide positive vibes because I feel much better about this team on where they are. And this is probably the best I felt about the White Sox's chances of making the postseason. I'd say 2010. I felt pretty high that I thought the White Sox could make the postseason in 2010. Obviously, they fell short, but I felt pretty good about that team. Uh, 2012 was a a nice bounce back and a bit of a surprise and disappointment at the very end. So that's my number one resolution. Be more positive. You guys can hold me to that. Number two. This is kind of fun. uh, The White Sox Cycle Club. I am going to bike at least an hour for every White Sox game I watch on TV, Jim. All right. So I got a bike. We're doing the Palatron thing. Uh, We got it before Christmas. Uh, Pretty expensive for those that are looking into it. Did you reenact the commercial? (laughs) I did. And uh, gosh, I, I tell you what, you go through one of those classes. There's no way you look like any of these actors they have. Uh, especially when you're someone like me and my size, like I'm just a sweaty mess, bright red face, hair is all over the place. With threatened eyebrows. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's just a, I'm a complete mess. But uh, in my attempt to get skinnier, uh, I'm going to bike at least an hour for every White Sox game. So if you have a, a bike at home, uh, you could join me. We can have a White Sox cycle club. We could just tweet at each other and, Hey, it's the second inning. Everybody hop on your bikes. Let's bike for the next hour and see how many innings uh, go by. So that's my number two. My number three is to host more mini Sox Machine meetups because we have the tailgate tent now, Jim. Yes, that is beautiful. So you could find us in the parking lot. Yeah, that is a, that was a great gift. I love when gifts for you feel like gifts for me. <laughs> Yeah, and with the team being exciting and hopefully the weather would be good uh, to be at the ballpark more often, especially on the weekends. That That's going to be my target, you know, more Saturday, Sunday type of mini meetups. But for everyone that's listening, uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to come to our like annual meetup last year, it was in Downers Grove. That was an absolute blast to be at Alter Brewery. Great place. Uh, And I'm sure we'll have something again as far as a big meetup, but to have more mini meetups with all the the Sox machinists so we could all hang out uh, before going and seeing the White Sox play. So those are my three. Be more positive, the White Sox Cycle Club, and host more mini meetups. Yeah, the positive thing, I'm I'm trying to stick that to, I mean, I generally just write what I feel (laughs) and I try not to think... uh, whether I'm being too positive or too negative, I'm just trying to be honest. Um, but I think what nice thing about this off season that kind of reminds me of, you know, years ago when, um, you know, business was mostly taken care of by the new year and you had some straggling business, but you had to, you know, you had basically a month and a half of dead time to fill in with, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, more creative posts or historical stuff. And, you know, before uh, last year, tracking the Manny Machado thing week after week and, just how monotonous that was and how it was easy to fall into, you know, dread based on, you know, the latest word. And 
it was really just, it's not the way I think a baseball offseason is supposed to be. I think this is kind of the the pacing it's supposed to have. You know, some early action peaking or, or you know, kind of one crest at least at the winter meetings. And then, you know, a few more interspersed throughout the next couple months. And then you have, a, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess, guess a complete team to present to your winter carnivals, your Sox Fest, whatever, uh, caravans, whatever teams call their, their winter meetings. Uh, or winter uh, conventions, you know, they have something for that. So it, it feels like a classic off season. And uh, so the nice thing is, you know, it gives you time to get creative, get dumb. <laughs> you have some uh, classic uh, uh, no news posts that we haven't had in a few years. Yeah. And even maybe next off season, we could look to perhaps a bigger free agent signing. I don't know. Let's not get into that. Let's not start dreaming about Mookie bets just quite yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who knows? Maybe no Marmasar will break out. Uh, but yeah, I, I think to be more positive, I, I think that is a good goal. And is again, though, the white Sox have to provide <laughs> the, those positive vibes as well. Uh, cause if things get awful and they make bad decisions, you know, we, we have to talk about that and we can't, you know, always try to shine a bright light and say, yeah, this terrible thing is actually not that bad when it probably is that bad. <laughs> so still remaining honest, but yeah, I think be more positive is definitely one of my bigger goals for 2020. So those are my three resolutions, and Jim, you shared yours as well. Uh, so again, we would love to hear your guys' New Year's resolutions for 2020. You can post them in the comments on the podcast page on SoxMachine.com or tweet them to us at SoxMachine, and you can follow me on Twitter as well, at SoxMachine underscore Josh. But now it's time to answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine. We're helping the site and the show by becoming a good friend, one of our best friends on SoxMachine.com by supporting us on patreon.com slash socks machine. And to start off as far as the PO socks, Jim, the first question we have in our mailbag comes from Brett and Brett is asking at the present time, what percent chance would you put on Luis Robert signing a long-term contract extension and therefore being with the white Sox on opening day, 2020. Okay. Let's exchange numbers. I'm going to say 25%. Oh boy, we are much different. I'm going 90%. Hmm. And that's because I have a bet with Peter Hand. <laughs> and if it, Luis Robert does not, if he's not on the opening day roster, I have to treat the 108 guys to some queso at Buffalo <laughs> Wings and Reigns on opening day. It's it's possible. I think, you know, 25% is kind of how I'm feeling right now. But, you know, the, the uh, Eloy Jimenez sets a strong precedent. And seeing the deal that he got versus the, um, you know, I guess the six for 24 deal that um, uh, Evan White got with the Mariners and Scott Kingery for the Phillies, like Eloy did way better than those guys. And I think that shows that the White Sox are serious about, uh, you know, not just trying to get the the cheapest deal possible, but actually trying to, you know, giving some ground for a player they really like and really feel like controlling the cost trajectory is really a big objective. I just wonder with, 
you know, the, the big payday that Robert got for the bonus, you know, uh, signing with the White Sox, that does change the math a little bit for me. Uh, that, you know, he's already got his life-changing money once, doesn't need to... doesn't. He's already got the first $20 million. That's kind of how I look at it, these deals. Uh, you know, when, when you sign for the first $20 million, like, uh, you know, Robert has, like Mankata has, just seems like you don't need that first deal so soon unless you can get a lot of concessions or uh, a lot of security. And I just wonder how far apart the White Sox are, given that Robert isn't the kind of lock that uh, Jimenez was as a hitter. Um, you know, when you look at the batted ball profile, when you look at the, the control of the strike zone, Jimenez looks like he's less exploitable at the majors and he struggled. So, I mean, I imagine Robert, if he comes up and starts opening day, I'm expecting a slow start and taking a few months for him to uh, contribute on a reliable basis. But given the you know aggressiveness, the, the ultra aggressiveness, I just wonder if the White Sox will try to ask for a lower price. And I don't know if Robert has to go for that lower price. So I'm, I'm conflicted in terms of just how much that first signing means. I think he's going to get some peer pressure mm. and I think it's going to come from Aloy. And I, I really do think it's going to come from Abreu. And if, if the, if the carrot is you sign this, you're with us on opening day, you don't sign it. We'll see you in mid April. I think Robert signs it. It's a terrible situation. It really curbs as far as his earnings that he could make in his professional baseball career. But I that's why I'm 90% sure this is happening because the carrot is going to be too enticing for him and I do not see him being in a position that he wants to wait. So if he can get if he signs an 8-year, 83 million dollar contract with the White Sox, uh, you know, it's a great thing as a White Sox fan because Luis Robert is going to be sticking around along with Aloy Jimenez, but it does curb as far as how much money that he can make in his career. And I'm sure that he's going to be a superstar, uh, but I, I don't think he's going to not sign that contract so he can play opening day with the White Sox. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if we're talking 80, 90 million in that range. I don't feel as bad about it because Robert got something out of it. You know, you look at the other deals, you look at the deal that Ozzie Albee signed. Um, you know, the, the White Sox, you know, I, I, you know, given that he hasn't had a, a plate appearance yet, that would be some risk that he's making the White Sox take. So there is some give. Uh, but yeah, given that it's the whole service time thing forcing it, that's kind of gross to me still. Um, and just, uh, I, I think, I wonder if Chris Bryant's grievance, however, that turns out will play a part in it because when you look at, uh, um, just the conditions before Bryant reached the majors, there are similar, like there's no reason why you would have Adam Engel or Larry Garcia playing above Luis Robert opening day based on merit, need, talent, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Robert would be the guy just like Bryant should have been the guy over Mike Olt. So, you know, there could be some parallels drawn, you know, whether, um, you know, if Bryant ends up being a free agent earlier than usual, perhaps that compels the White Sox to go further. Who knows? But uh, I, I think that will affect the calculus somewhat. I, I could see that. I could see that. But again, I'm I'm 90% sure. And the 10% of me would be very angry if Luis Robert is not the starting center fielder for the Chicago White Sox in opening day 2020. Yeah, the peer pressure argument is a good one. Just it is a unique set of circumstances just based on the you know connection the whole Abreu thing yeah maybe right we'll see we'll see but again this is going to be a very popular topic in mid to late march as spring training 
winds down and we all ask ourselves, is Luis Robert going to be with the White Sox in an opening day? He should be with the White Sox in an opening day. Um, but if the White Sox can come to terms with him before spring training, then I think that answers the question on who's the starting center fielder for the White Sox in 2020. But Brett, awesome question. Again, this is how we feel now. I'm sure we will feel different in the upcoming months, especially when spring training games starts. But this is going to be a very popular topic until a decision has been made by both parties, whether or not to sign a long-term contract. Our next question comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew's asking about Lurie Garcia, Jim. His questions is actually his question is multiple choice. Is Lurie Garcia A, the opening day second baseman, B, the other half of a right field platoon, C, the utility infielder, or D, all of the above? I'm inclined to say B and C. I guess it could be all of the above, except, you know, if the Royals start Danny Duffy opening day, then he'd probably be in right field and not uh, uh, second base. So um, I think ultimately I'd be happier if it were more of a bench role than starting just because we've already seen the limitations that he has in the everyday player, just, uh, you know, his bat, his glove, etc. And if you're going to have to start somebody as a bridge guy for the first few weeks of the season, whether it's service time, whether it's injuries, whatever, whatever have you, I think I'd rather see Larry be in a bench spot and rather see Danny Mendick get those starts just to understand what they have. I think there isn't that great of a difference over a two week period to where you'd feel, you know, maybe against lefties, you'd want to, you know, Larry's Larry starting more games because Mendick doesn't really have dramatic splits, but even then, you know, that can fluctuate year to year. I think I'd just rather, you know, if you're going to have those two weeks where you have to start one of those guys, I'd rather just learn about Mendick more because Larry just kind of know he's a below average starter, above average super sub, or at least an average super sub useful. And, uh, you know, starting him more just seems to repeat the same mistakes that they've had in, you know, previous years where they just, you know, are content with a guy and don't learn. Uh, the one thing is, uh, yeah, there, I guess there are a couple, uh, you know, factors. You could have a Brad Miller. I think James Fox was the guy who reported the White Sox were looking at Brad Miller as a, um, you know, second baseman who can fill in, you know, on the, uh, you know, for platoon purposes. And maybe that changes how the infield, uh, works, especially a guy like Mendick. Also, Yolmer's still out there, and the White Sox do like reunions, and they do like Yolmer, and he does serve a purpose as far as a glove-first infielder around the diamond, so maybe he comes back, but uh, right now, I think if, you know, the season starts today, or if you're looking at the most likely addition, and we were talking about right field, or like adding extra outfielder, I can see him being pushed more towards infield work with, uh, I guess, the winner between him and Angle, you know, being the, the determining factor in terms of who gets those at-bats spelling Mazzara or waiting for Robert or whatever the need arises. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. Uh, in our upcoming episodes of the Sox Machine podcast, uh, we will only be taking questions from our Patreon supporters. So if you have a PO Sox question and you are one of our Patreon supporters, definitely respond to the post that Jim puts up every single Sunday to submit your questions for the upcoming episode. If you don't support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up. You get additional content as far as with Jim's writings and additional content as far as the podcast as well. You also get an ad free show 
too. So if you want more from us, go to SoxMachine.com. I'm sorry. Go to Patreon.com slash SoxMachine to sign up today to help support us at SoxMachine.com. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful New Year's. Please be safe and be responsible. Have fun, of course, but don't end up in the hospital, <laughs> please. Um, uh, and the same goes for you as well, Jim. I know you're quite the party animal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something to worry about. No, but yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, I think there's right now lots of reason to be happy. So let's keep that going. Absolutely. So again, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're new to the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to our show everywhere that you can listen to podcasts such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.